Good morning, everybody. See what love has done. We considered that last weekend when we considered love's promises and how from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, God said there'd be consequences, but he stepped in and gave them a promise. A promise of a redeemer that would come and crush the head of the serpent. And he repeated that promise throughout the scriptures to Abram about how he would give him, uh, make him a blessing and bless his descendants. They'd be a blessing to all the families of the earth. There'd be land involved in that. And he repeated that through the centuries through the prophets in the Old Testament. Bethlehem found the fulfillment of that promise in the birth of that child. And then the culmination of that promise, some 30 years later, outside of Jerusalem when he was nailed to a cross. He didn't deserve it, but he came to give his life because of God's love for us. That's what love did. That's the extent to which God would go to pursue sinners who'd rebelled against him. We're going to consider this weekend more about what love has done, but what we're going to see this weekend, I think, in this passage we'll look at is that seeing what love has done limits our options. It limits our options. And we think, really? Well, the verse that begins this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is, For the love of Christ controls us. Another translation, that's New American Standard, another translation says that for the love of Christ compels us. And yet another translation says for the love of Christ constrains us. And that's probably the most accurate translation of that Greek word syneko, which means to encircle, to hold, or to hem in. And it really means to restrict one's activities. For the love of Christ restricts our activities. How many of you like to be hemmed in and have your activities restricted? We like to keep our options open, right? We like to know anything's possible. When you think of maybe an invitation that you've received to a wedding or maybe this season to a Christmas party and it says uh, RSVP, and we can't read the French, but maybe we know that's, I'm supposed to send this thing back in. Sometimes we don't do it right. Why? But when we get distracted, maybe we're busy. Or maybe we want to keep our options open. What if something else comes along that's better? And we keep our options open. I think that happened with the marathoners uh, that ran that race this morning. Most of them didn't decide last week they're going to run this race. They decided months and months ago. But when they did so, they limited their options. When they signed that form, when they turned in their application to run the marathon, they decided at that point that they were going to be constrained in their activities. No longer were they going to be able to eat any time, anything that they wanted. They had to have some special diet. They not only uh, had a special diet, they could no longer just sleep in every morning or watch endless TV as a couch potato. No, they had to be out there running and training and preparing. You see, that goal, which they considered worthwhile, constrained them so that they had to limit themselves in other activities. 
So it is for we who are followers of Christ. That decision commits us to being constrained so we don't do everything we used to do because we no longer want to do those things. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 5. I want to pull three things out of this passage that I think are really just clear. Here's the first, and they're, they're in your bulletin. Seeing what love has done means we no longer live for ourselves. We used to. That's the way we were. No longer now that we've committed our lives to Christ. Paul says this in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. I want you to notice that phrase, therefore, having concluded. It means that, well, we've heard the gospel, that Christ died for us, he rose again, that we might be forgiven. We heard it, and we contemplated it, and we concluded it's true. And it's true for me. And if that's true for me, that changes everything. I used to live for myself. I mean, it was my time, and I would use it like I wanted to. It was my agenda. It, it was my resources and, and my money, and I'll do with it what I want. But now that I've come to Christ... I'm saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with my time, with my resources, with my money? I mean, we talk about all these offerings that are happening, and it's like, wow, that can make us really uncomfortable. Before we come to Christ, when the offering plate is passed, that's a real kind of a stressful time. Maybe I can find a dollar to put in there, you know? But no, when Christ comes into our lives and we see what love has done, we say, Lord, how can I use my resources for your kingdom so others may know. You folks, and I say this unequivocally, are the most generous church I have known about or ever been associated with, continually. Through the regular giving, tithes and offerings, through our vision, our master plan to build this block, through our special offerings that we have at Easter and Thanksgiving and Christmas, through uh, our missions giving that is part of our regular giving. I mean, we are supporting ministry in this community and to the ends of the earth. Cheryl Batchelder is the CEO of Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. How many of you love Popeye's chicken? You know, Robert Jackson, who's running the marathon this morning, he says, you know, if they ever tell me that you get one last meal, it's going to be Popeye's chicken. I said, I think I could do better than that. But I don't think we could do better than what she says in reference to how she likes to live her life. She said that she has a sign on her desk, Philippians 2.3, which says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. She said, I have to ask myself that every day. She said, I think every one of us has a, an inner two-year-old. We'd all be laying on the floor kicking and screaming for that candy bar, and we sometimes fake it, but that's what, that's what we're like. We need continually to be delivered from our selfishness. Folks, many of you have so demonstrated that because you've decided, having concluded that Christ died for you, you're no longer going to live for yourselves. Secondly, 
Paul says in this passage, seeing what love has done means we no longer see people as we did. He begins in verse 16 by saying, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. When you come to faith in Christ, you have a new life. And you have a new way of seeing other people. Because in the world system, we're just trained to evaluate people on their position, their title, their the, the wealth that they have, maybe their celebrity status or their athletic feats and accomplishments. That's what it's all about. But no longer since we've come to Christ do we see people in those categories. We see them as in Christ or not. And if they're in Christ, they're our brothers and sisters, and we need to love them and, and work together with them to reach those who haven't yet found a Savior. Because Sometimes we can look at people that are outside of Christ and look down upon them because their lifestyle is different from us, skin color is different, they, they are of a different social strata than us, and Paul says, no way. We don't recognize people according to the flesh. We see them through Christ's eyes, and we see lost people as deserving to hear the same good news that we have been privileged to hear. You know, this last week, when we commemorated the 75th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, there were so many moving stories that came out of that. Documentaries, newspaper articles, and such that were referenced. In fact, uh, I talked to Bobby on the lanai this morning. He actually went out there that morning. Dee was watching it that morning, just crying at times. I couldn't hardly tear myself away from it. That Admiral Harry B. Harris's speech, amazing. You should Google that. You can pull it up and listen to what he had to say. But one of the stories that especially touched my heart this past week was of uh, that young Japanese kamikaze pilot who flew his plane, his name was Setsuo Ishino, into the USS Missouri. It was in April of 1945. In fact, um, when that happened, there was a baker that took a picture of that plane coming in. That 19-year-old pilot had sent letters back to his parents and said, this is it, and he knew that this would be his death as he carried uh, on either side of him 550-pound bombs to blow up that ship. Well, it didn't blow up the ship, and his plane flipped over on the deck, and the sailors were sorting through the wreckage and throwing it overboard when they came across his dead body. And they were going to throw that over as well. And the word came down from Captain William Callahan, stop. And he had them prepare that body for burial the following day, and they gave him a full military burial with six-gun salute and honors. When they did that, I believe that something happened to these sailors that were involved in that. I mean, they respected him because he was a fellow warrior, but now they realize he's a fellow human being. He's our age. He's doing the duty, his duty as he sees it for his country. 
and they no longer saw him, maybe in that moment, as the hated enemy or some of the derogatory terms that people use in war to describe the enemy, but as a fellow human being. I believe that's what happens when we come to Christ. All of a sudden we see that people who don't live like us or look like us, they are as loved by God as anyone else, and they need and deserve our love. We recognize no person now according to the flesh, but see them through the eyes of Christ. And then finally, seeing what love has done means we no longer settle for insignificance. Paul concludes this passage by saying, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Most people live what we would call ordinary lives. And frankly, I think so many people get to the end of their lives and wonder, what have I really accomplished? What have I lived for? Even if I've made some money or gained some possessions or gained positions, what, what have I really accomplished? And that's, well... Thoreau said most people live lives of quiet desperation, never really feeling like they've done that much. What if we could be an ambassador? President-elect Trump is staffing his cabinet, and I saw at the Army-Navy game yesterday, Vern Lundquist is uh, one of the announcers, and, and, he, and Trump came, and he said, well, how would you like to be the ambassador to Sweden? I mean, he was kind of joking. But I thought, well, that'd be pretty cool to be an ambassador to the country of your choice, wouldn't it? Actually, we have something much more valuable than that because the king of the universe has asked us to be his ambassadors. Ambassadors for Christ. Wherever you live, in your family, in the place where you work or go to school or in your community, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are on assignment from him to live and to love in such a way that people will come to know Jesus. And that means our lives are no longer ordinary or insignificant. They've taken on eternal meaning. C.S. Lewis said, You have never looked a mere mortal in the eyes. Think of that. In other words, everybody's going to live forever. The question is where? Heaven or hell? We're ambassadors to say heaven is open. There's a Savior who's come, and you can know him by the grace of God. So our lives have been transformed by this good news. And we're ambassadors personally and through this church and through the outreach of this church. Here's the thing. When we see what love has done, we can no longer live for ourselves. We no longer see people as we did, and we no longer live insignificant lives. We live as ambassadors for Christ and see eternal results because of God's power 
through our lives. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the good news that has come to us from different sources in different ways, but with the same result. We've been forgiven. We've got the promise of life that lasts forever, and we've got your presence now in our lives. And we have a few years of our lives to make a difference in the lives of others. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the generosity and the lives that have been given to live for you. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that hasn't yet opened their heart to you, that this would be the day, that this would be the season of salvation because this good news is too good to discard, to ignore. So, Lord, I pray that anyone not yet in your kingdom today would believe and receive you as Savior and Lord. Lord, we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.